Hey, it's Kale, and I just wanted to let you know about something before we start out here. Two weeks ago, on July 25th, Byline officially celebrated its first birthday. So I just wanted to quickly say to all of our listeners, thank you very much for your support to make this podcast what it is, and for continuing to check in on the biggest stories and facets of what the Times of Northwest Indiana covers. So without further ado, let's get started. From the Times of Northwest Indiana and nwi.com slash podcasts, you're listening to Byline. The podcast about the newspaper's most fascinating stories and the reporters who tell them. I'm Kale Wilk, and this week Byline provides updates on Strike and Van Til and the East Chicago leg crisis. We'll talk with a central leader from the Strack family that couldn't bear to see the stores go. This opportunity came along, and, and I didn't want to sit there in 10, 15 years having a regret that I didn't try. And we'll talk with an East Chicago resident growing accustomed to her new living space. East Chicago is love. Like, you know, we have, we have, we have our situations, you know, as, as do everywhere. Sometimes it's just publicized more and more areas. Um, but there's, there's a love in East Chicago, like a welcoming. If you're a listener that's not from Northwest Indiana or have never stepped foot in it, one thing to know is that you can't keep a good region rat down. There's no hard and fast concrete source that can necessarily confirm that, except the sentiment of having spent years around the people here. I say this because of recent big local news, and because of how willing this community is to stand up for the parts that make it whole. We are the region, and we stand out from other areas because of it. There's other zones in the country that are like this, as the same could probably be said for the Quad Cities in Illinois and Iowa, for example. But hopefully you get the idea. So on that note, let's start out by going back in time a few weeks to June 11th. In the Times newsroom that day, Joseph Pete was anticipating news on Strachan Van Til. As you may remember, dear listener, we at Byline touched on the grocery store only in our second to most recent episode. It was announced the beloved local chain was up for sale after it came to light the parent company, Central Grocers, was over $225 million in debt. Thus, some stores would be closed, liquidated, or auctioned. And that auction finally came. Auction was going on all day. It was happening. It was closed to the press. It was in New York City. No one really knew what was going on. The parties were just kind of sitting there for hours without hearing anything. But in regards to those interested parties, Joseph knew something that not many other people did. I was kind of almost at the point where I was um, just going to call it a day. But like all day long, people were posting on my Facebook page. People were messaging me on Twitter. People were calling and emailing me asking, you know, what's what's the word? What's the word on Strack and Mantel? So what's happening? What, what's Finally, an email landed in his inbox. And who was the sender? Jeff Strack. It read, we won. We are getting our stores back. The Strack and Van Til families, along with former Strack and Van Til CEO Dave Wilkinson, separate from the parent company slash co-op Central Grocers, put together a bid to buy back the stores valued at a little over $90 million, outbidding Jewel Osco by a little over $20 million. Joseph wrote up a story right away and put it online quickly. 
and the news spread among the Times' readers like wildfire. It's definitely been an unfolding saga with a lot of twists and turns. Um, it's a little cliche, but it's sort of almost been a roller coaster ride. You know, the despondent moments where you might lose one of your most treasured local institutions that's been a driving force behind a lot of the charities in the community, and it's, you know, a much greater... It's always tragic when a place like Phil Schmitz or whatever closes, but it's just like one place. Draken Mantel is ubiquitous, and uh, there's just been... I've gotten tons of feedback from readers. A lot of people are very passionate about where they shop for groceries to a degree that surprised even me. There a lot of people will just call and leave like messages like, oh, your next headline should be back home again in Indiana. Or, you know, people were just kind of overjoyed by it. Not too long afterward, Joseph had the opportunity to interview Jeff Strack himself visiting the company's headquarters on 45th Street in Highland. Oh, it was, um, the mood was exuberant at the uh, Strachan Valentel headquarters. They had uh, balloons out front saying, like, we did it, you know. Everyone was just brimming from ear to ear. Uh, but the Anheuser-Busch or InBev or whatever they're called now, they had sent over a case of uh, Budweiser to, or a cooler filled with Budweiser to Jeff Strack to celebrate because uh, a lot of his, um, you know, suppliers are happy to, they want to keep, you know, as many outlets as possible. And, you know, they've had long-standing business relationships and, you know. Here's some of the audio from the session Joseph had with Jeff Strack. The news that our associates and customers have heard has just been overwhelming. Yeah. Uh, I, I probably have had over 500 emails, oh, texts, and yeah. phone calls. And I've been up late every night uh, responding to each one personally. And I'm getting around to it because I think that's part about being that local and, and uh being a part of the community and I appreciate all that, all those goodwill wishes that have been sent my way. And, you know, it's really exciting to see people in the stores that, uh, how happy they are and uh, and people coming up to me and some people actually even crying. And, oh. I, and, and I think it goes back to the Brian Strachan Van Til and the emotional attachment that the community has with their, their local grocer. And and that's really special to me. One of the big things noted in Joseph's stories is how many jobs this buyback has potentially saved. The exact number is a little hard to quantify, though. You know, oh, there, cool. there's approximately, um, where we fluctuate here, say around 90, and then at the store, Ultra Marables, around 130. So, oh, wow, okay. Probably, you know, over 200 jobs. Oh, wow, okay. Within yeah. our organization alone. And, you know, and, and plus, you know, what's out there with the vendor community. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, people that take care of our stores. I mean, those, those were jobs at risk that, you know, a new owner has new, you know, different business relationships. So, you know, there's probably a lot of ancillary jobs that were protected or saved uh, yeah. because of this. Following this purchase, the Striking Van Til families plan to operate 20 of the 22 remaining stores. They will also have a new supplier, Associated Wholesale Grocers, based out of Kansas City. Given these new circumstances and boundaries, Joseph was also curious what this is going to mean for the many philanthropic actions Strachan Van Til has done over the years. The, the company culture that was started by my grandfather and, and Mr. Van Til was, you know, to help make the communities we, we serve a better place to live. And, and that doesn't change. You know, we're going to continue to support organizations and events that enhance the quality of life. And whether it's through time, treasure, or talent, that will continue to be a great corporate citizen of Northwest Indiana and doing what we can to make it a better place to live for, for all the people. This installment is simply providing an update on the striking Van Til situation, but it will be interesting to see where this goes. The other competing grocery outlets and new shopping habits didn't go away. 
the battle will have to continue. There's a lot of work. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, when I looked at it, you know, I, I always, as I mentioned the other day in the radio, I believe in opportunities and uh, this opportunity came along and, and I didn't want to sit there in 10, 15 years having a regret that I didn't try. And, you know, at the end of the day, I think it just shows what a lot of hard work and determination and more importantly, when you're passionate about something that you will find a way to, to make things work. I really want to thank our, our associates and, and our vendors and our customers uh, for uh, being patient with us through the last few months. You know, there's a lot of unknown and a lot of turbulence and uh, our, our, the people in our stores, I, I asked everybody here when the announcement was made a few months ago to continue to work hard because you never know what's going to happen. And at the end of the day, we have to do the right thing regardless of who the, the future owner would, would be. And uh, I appreciate, you know, everybody has really given it their all and have done a great job, and uh, um, I couldn't be more pleased with that. For now, though, we in the region that shop there are celebrating. Similar to our last episode on the rise in strength in local banks like Centier and Horizon, another big local entity has, for now, kept its footing and will continue to help strengthen its community in many ways. This is an area that kind of embraces its uniqueness we embrace our heritage, we embrace our past, we are not afraid to be eccentric or different or kind of show how we're culturally and geographically distinct. And then we, we do like our, you know, institutions locally. We, you know, when our people here, they're proud to go to like local restaurants, support chains like Zell's, things like that. It's not that there aren't chains and chains seem to be proliferating, but there still is a lot of, um, a strong sense of a local identity across Northwest Indiana. It's something that, you know, people take pride in. But that's not all we've got in store for today. Our next step takes us once again to East Chicago. Although first, we'll take a brief break. Hey listeners, it's Matt Schubert, producer of That's So Region, the podcast about all things region. It's uh, Joseph Pete, also a panelist on That's So Region, and the best freestyle rapper on the Time staff. We talk about all sorts of region topics, what to do, where to go, can there actually be a gourmet taco? How many pierogi you can stuff in your gullet and why it's pierogi and not pierogies. Make sure to download us on iTunes, follow us on Twitter, and visit nwi.com Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. Who knows? Sometimes it's every week, sometimes it's every other week. But make sure you listen to the end. for our, It's jam-packed with our region recommendations of what you can do for fun and entertainment in Northwest Indiana and Greater Chicagoland. We're back. Now we move the episode over to East Chicago and what has happened as of late with the leg crisis. What you're hearing is not an urban rush hour scene, but instead a parade procession through East Chicago's Calumet neighborhood. Around two weeks ago, the area hosted its annual Calumet Day celebration. But did it feel a little different, considering the West Calumet housing complex and all that its tenants had been through? We'll get back to that. First, let's check in with the duo of Sarah Reese and Lauren Cross. About a week and a half ago, it marked a year when West Calumet residents received a letter from Mayor Anthony Copeland advising them to leave. It contained lines such as, The identification of lead and arsenic poses potential dangers, 
and that is why I ordered the East Chicago Health Department to offer lead testing to you and your children. Now that we know the levels of lead in the ground in West Calumet Housing Complex, we feel it is in your best interest to temporarily relocate your household to safer conditions. Even though this may be a great inconvenience to you, it is necessary to protect you and your children from possible harm. It's been approximately a year since coverage really took off from the Times, as well as other news media outlets, including national ones like the New York Times and the Washington Post. So I asked Sarah and Lauren how they feel now that they've met this milestone. It's been a journey. There's, I mean, there's so many kind of cascading things. I mean, you start to look into one thing, you find something else you need to look into. Um, so there's a lot of different issues um, that we've uh, had to report on over the last year. Um, you know, honestly, it feels just like yesterday. Honest to God, it, it really does. It feels just like yesterday that this all um, kind of came tumbling into the news. Um, you know, I think Sarah and I, we've spent like the last year just doing a lot of research. I feel like I've, I've had so many email exchanges with, um, you know, agencies and, and uh, it's just been a whirlwind really since Last summer, really. Um, but yeah, it feels just like yesterday. I can I can certainly remember West Calumet, you know, with all the children running around. I It certainly felt like a community back then. Uh, it was just fascinating to walk around the neighborhood. People were so welcoming to reporters at that time. Uh, you know, I still think they are to this day. Um, but it, it, was, it was just fascinating to see West Calumet go from a community with, I think there was, what, 700 children who lived there to, to absolutely... Uh, vacant now. The last time we followed up with the duo, West Calumet residents were moving out, some of them voicing confusion with the voucher situation and where they'd be able to go. The complex is completely empty now, save for those that work in the housing authority office within the complex. We also examined the other faces of the neighborhood Sarah and Lauren were meeting in zones 2 and 3 of the Superfund site, whose properties have topsoil being sufficiently temporarily remedied by the EPA. Also, there was the concern that the digging was shaking the underground legacy water pipes and causing lead to leak into residents' drinking water. The city was able to secure a $3.1 million state grant to replace privately owned pipes. One of the things we questioned way back when in Byline's fourth episode ever, when the details of the West Calumet housing complex situation were unfolding, was the value of local media here. I was reminded of this when The Atlantic, a national news magazine, released an article and video on June 11th about the complex. What it got me thinking about was that East Chicago did get attention and publicity for this crisis, which is important, but did it get it right? As a journalist, I feel that's hard to answer. How do you tell the news and stories without making a parachuting or helicopter situation of incomplete narratives? That's where perhaps local media remains a strong pillar. They didn't go away. I mean, you have CNN. They came in a few times in the last year to kind of do a quick hit piece or, you know, an exclusive that they they would uh, come in for. But, yeah, I mean, um, you know, I do understand the value of local media throughout this coverage. Um, uh, We have gotten feedback. Uh, You know, I think the residents appreciate us being at whatever meeting we can get to. Uh, it, you know, newspapers, there really are a, rest, a record of history. And if we're not there, that meeting is not, I mean, it happened, but nobody knows about it, you know. And it's really valuable, I think, to have 
the little intricacies along the way. Um, I would just tell everyone, every year I've watched this event get bigger, better, bolder. So let's return to July 22nd, AKA this year's Calumet Day. This is a small speech given by Mayor Copeland. And um, through all what we've been through, the Calumet community, we've become stronger, we've become one, uh, we've become dedicated to each other, saying that we will not watch each other fall in harm's way and not pick them up and not abide and, and, and be their ally to make sure that their children prosper. So um, I'm just truly blessed every year that you invite me here. And if they haven't seen any, if, if they don't believe how big Calumet they can get this year, Brendan had already promised me that next year is going to be bigger, bolder, and brighter. So again, thank you. Thank you, Mayor Copeland. Calumet Day has begun. Enjoy. This audio was captured by one of our photographers out documenting that day, Jonathan Miano. Calumet Day was a good example that shows, you know, some of the relationships that we've been able to build. And, you know, that goes for Lauren and Sarah, too. I mean, they've they've talked to people for hours on end and, you know, done really extensive stories. So, you know, people in the community know the three of us. And if they haven't met me before, I'll say, oh, I'm with Lauren. And then they say, oh, okay, sure, that's great. And I automatically have, you know, credibility with them because they've read our stories and they know that, you know, we've been on this story the whole time and been passionate about pursuing it and getting it out to the public. So people would say, oh, hey, Jonathan, and come up and give me a hug, and I'd ask them how they were, where they were living, or how their kids were, and so that was really nice to see people again. I wanted to include Jonathan in here as well because he's had a chance to spend a lot of time personally getting to know his subjects and has captured some fantastic images of their lives that can be seen in Sarah or Lauren's stories or in some of the galleries and videos he's done. You can see all of them at nwi.com. Well, I mean, in the simplest form, I get paid to take pictures, which is awesome. Uh, it's an awesome um, responsibility, and it's an honor to be able to tell people's stories. But that's really what we do. We tell people's stories, um, get to meet different people every day, build rapport with them, and get to listen to them. A lot of the job is listening and figuring out what the photo is, um, and then waiting for those moments and capturing them. So it's, it's always an honor to be able to tell people stories and allow, they allow us allow us into their lives and it's always a great honor. Jonathan's photography has added an extra facet to the East Chicago reporting. His images transport a viewer to the heart of the situation and really display the humanity that sometimes words on their own can't quite depict. Um, as a photographer I get to witness some of the highs and lows that the reporters might miss. They might just be in there for an interview and out, and they might be talking to somebody about what happened yesterday or what's going to happen, you know, in the coming weeks. But my job is to be there for those things that are happening and to capture those moments. So as a photojournalist, you get to be a witness to those moments in people's lives, and that's really special. I think one thing people don't realize is how much a story like this, how much time it takes for the photographer um, I think there's sometimes a maybe maybe not I don't know sometimes a misconception that reporters I mean they spend a lot more time writing and I'd say their job is <laughs> probably harder overall <laughs> but we have to spend a lot of time just waiting and hanging out so with a story like this a lot of it is 
just waiting for something to happen, just being around, being present, um, talking to people, having conversations, and it's during those conversations and those times of waiting where you, you know, where they talk about something they're going to do that you realize is a great photo, and then, you know, you can schedule that time to go back and get that image. I also wanted to have a chance to speak with a former resident to see how they felt on the situation having turned a year old. So I reached out to this person. All right, so my name is Tara Adams. Um, I am a resident, was a resident of West County Met Housing Complex. Uh, recently, I've been here for two, three months now. I'm a mother of three, a grandmother. Um, yeah, I was a teacher. I'll be going back into the field probably once this died down a little bit. The place she's talking about is her new home in Hobart which she was able to finally secure with her voucher. She's still active with the community groups in East Chicago. When I got the notice, when I received the notice, I started looking immediately. But at that time, I needed a five-bedroom. Um, or at least a three with a basement or, you know, something where we all could fit comfortably. That's kind of what we were going through, along with... You know, a lot of uh, landlords and property managers saying that they do not accept Section 8. Uh, just so happened one day, I went down to the relocation office. I went down there and they said, oh, this guy just came in. I think this would be great for you because I had restrictions. Got into that and looked. I called him. We came. The house wasn't finished. Uh, my my 11, my 11 year old and I came and she was like, mommy, I want that house. <laughs> So I was like, well, we're going to see what God say. But um, luckily, the way God had things set up is that it worked out. You know, I was able to fill out a, a, um, a request for a three-bedroom, explain to them why, explain to them. Had I not moved, they would have moved me to Chicago. So I was able to say, I can't go to Chicago. You know, they, I can't go out there in their projects. Um, and I got it. So back to the question that I asked at the beginning of this segment. I was curious if any of the shine of Calumet Day had been dimmed by the circumstances of West Calumet. I think for me, okay, because I generally don't do the days like Cayman Day, Harbor Day. We have all kinds of days. I don't do those days generally. Um, I went this time because a friend of mine passed, and we did a balloon release there. I don't think that there was as many people as it would normally be uh, because the... West Calumet is closed down, so that's uh, 1,200 people that's gone. I know that there are some people who said that they just were not coming, they was not coming because they, they wasn't sure if if it was truly clean, you know. And then that's a concern that we still have. You know, are you really cleaning it or are you just putting a Band-Aid on a bigger problem? Um, so, yeah, I think that's part of it, too. But, yeah, normally it's a lot more people and it's a lot more music. As time passes by, we'll be able to piece together the puzzle of the situation a bit better, as it naturally goes with history. And one of those things seems to be a real coalition of residents to address not only their moving difficulties, but also how they're situated and treated in regards to socioeconomics and the environment. I was curious what Tara thought about that. I think it has um, brought us together, like, yeah in a fight and, and more awareness and more education, more people trying to educate and more people trying to get educated. That's that's the thing. I can try to educate you, but if you're not trying to learn, I'm wasting my time. But there are people who now are trying to learn about what's going on. 
in our city. So, yeah, I think it kind of woke a couple of people up. And probably the biggest thing she noted is that the group doesn't plan to stay quiet once all is said and done. That there's still more to say, more stories to tell, and more change to happen. East Chicago is love. Like, you know, we have, we have, we have our situations, you know, as, as do everywhere. Sometimes it's just publicized more and more areas. Um, but there's, there's a love in East Chicago, like a welcoming. Yeah. Love, protection, prosperity, purpose. Yeah. We all have a purpose out there. And, and it's, yeah. And it's not to be dumped on. And we're not going to be quiet anymore. Byline is a production of the Times of Northwest Indiana. You can find all of our episodes at nwi.com slash podcasts. You can also find Byline on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just type in NWI Byline in the search bar, and we should pop up. If you've got a media player and want to download any of our episodes or just listen on the go, Byline is available on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. We just kindly ask that you rate us and leave a review because it actually really helps. And we'd like to hear from you, whether that's constructive comments, feedback, or suggestions for topics you'd like to hear more about. You can just drop an email to kale.wilk at nwi.com. Reporting for this week's episode came from Joseph Pete, Sarah Reese, Lauren Cross, Jonathan Miano, and myself, Kale Wilk. We'd like to thank Jeff Strack and Tara Adams for taking time to be interviewed. Last but not least, a big thanks goes to Summer Moore, the Times' digital and audience engagement editor and Byline's creator. She's a centurion for this podcast and guides our moves in our quest for Northwest Indiana's most fascinating stories. I'm Kale Wilk, and from the Times of Northwest Indiana, thank you for listening. See you next time.